Welcome to the Lawyer Human Show. That's your host, Shreya Lay. That's your host, Colin Lay. And we are co-founders of Lay Roots, a law firm based in Seattle, but serving clients everywhere. And that makes us partners in life and and business. business. As you can imagine, co-owning a business with your partner can be both really awesome and really challenging. So come along with us as we interview other partner-owned businesses and talk to each other about the roller coaster that is life, marriage, and working together. Today, we are talking to the pleasure principle that is principal like a high school principal, not like your principles and morals. She is a intimacy, sex, and relationship coach to individuals, particularly men and couples. And we are so excited to speak with Amy Baker today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with her. So Amy, how about you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business? Okay, thanks. Uh, I'm Amy Baker. I am the pleasure principal. Um, It is a play on the Freudian um, theory that we do what we can to have pleasure and avoid pain, right? And when we are kind of living that way, things get out of balance. And after working as the principal of a school for almost 20 years, I thought, you know, the kids are actually going to be fine. But, you know, the kids who grew up and didn't feel like they got what they needed, grow up with these adaptations in their character structures and their personality and the ways that they behave to stress that isn't always that great. So I was like, I think I'm going to switch my model to education for adults so that the world will be better. So that's where this started. And I became a professional mediator to work with conflict. I've had a lot of training through the University of Washington Law School and Pepperdine and do a lot of volunteering with the dispute resolution centers. And that's great. But then guess what? Couples also need to talk about sex and intimacy and how they're moving in and out of each other's worlds. And so um, I went to the Somatica Institute and did all of their trainings and did a lot of work and study and research in human sexuality. So that's kind of what brought this on. Kids are fine. Adults need help <laughs> sometimes, right? Yeah. To work at Growth Edge or to, or to go, why is nothing working the way I want it to, right? Yeah, definitely. I think most adults need help in some form or capacity, right? <laughs> right. right. Um, we don't live in a culture where that's okay yeah. to say I need help. So it's a weird thing. And it is, I have to say, Colin was slightly uncomfortable coming into this conversation because we don't typically get so personal as far as talking about intimacy and sex and all of these things. I think as a society, we probably also don't really talk about them. But he was he was game. He was like, we're doing it. He was like, I'm going to I'm going to sit with that discomfort. <laughs> there you go, Colin. Yeah. I'll just be sitting over here. <laughs> do you find that? Um, do you work with couples or is it usually one person, even if they are coupled? No, I work with couples and then I work with one person. But the funny thing about the couple is that we can look at whatever a presenting issue is, but it almost always comes back to a matter of personal or individual perspective. So I always kind of look at the relationship as its own entity, but I also say, 
where is your relationship to this separate entity? And so we actually need to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And that's a really uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people. <laughs> your relationship to your relationship. Yeah, I can I can see that. I think it is a lot of times really interesting for people. Colin and I spend a lot of time together, even when we are not in self-isolation because we work together and we live together. And yet we're also very different people with sometimes differing interests and things and perspectives uh, that we bring to it. And I think that's a lot of times interesting for people to think about and realize they're like, oh. How do you not hate each other? Yeah. How do you not hate each other? Or do you always like agree? Or do you always fight? <laughs> These are a lot of the questions we get. And right. It's like, and what, what do you answer? We don't hate each other, but we do sometimes disagree and we do sometimes agree. I mean, it's just like any other relationship in the world <laughs> yeah. where we're not yeah. always the same. That I usually think is a good, right? Because mm -hmm. then we have a little tension and that makes us kind of keep our traction there. Yeah. When there's a little bit of tension like that. Well, and I want to give some context for people if they're listening at a time when we're not in self-isolation, but we've been in self-isolation now because of the coronavirus for about two months, maybe a little bit more. Is that, yeah, a little more than that. And so people, even if they're not like me and Colin, where we're, we typically spend a lot of time together, are now spending a lot more time together than normal. But even with us... Uh, we have felt in the past where we don't have autonomy, right? Um, like even though we spend a lot of time together, there are things that we do separately usually, like me going to a yoga class or hanging out with friends separately, which we're not getting to do. And so people are don't have that escape or those private moments anymore. And I don't know if that has come up for you since the self-isolation started with the people you're seeing? Yeah, it has come up. It comes up a lot, in fact, because I love that you use the word autonomy. We, all of us um, have to some degree or another desire to be in close proximity with the people that we love and who we feel love us. And then to have that autonomy, that individuation, that time that's like me, because I am still me, right? We get into trouble when we kind of lose our container of self and start squishing <laughs> in and it becomes this nebulous blob, right? That then can maybe not feel great. I know of a couple that has been traveling around the world for the last couple of years and so being in isolation together, you might imagine, because they've been traveling a little bit together and then a lot separately, because okay. it's kind of what they do. Yeah. And then they come together. But now they're on this lockdown, and it's like, oh, my God. I mean, it's getting to them. Like, could you go do something? And then there's this impossibility of, well, what am I supposed to do, Right. I've taken the dog for a walk like seven times. The dog won't even go for a walk anymore. So, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so who am I then if I am not going to my job, right? And I'm not 
chatting around the water cooler about my cute dress or my shoes or something today. And it's just him or her. Yeah. And so how do we maintain our sense of self and actually use this as an opportunity to either work our growth edge or, or just learn some new things like that when I start to squish and my identity starts to get a little bit more malleable, that this maybe doesn't work for me or my partner. And then now we're roommates and we've lost a little sexual attraction. Yeah. So, which is also something that I'm seeing. Yeah. I, you know, I was going to ask about that is without that kind of private world that people have or that even if it's brief, like missing each other of like being apart from each other during the day or not interacting closely during the day. Do you see that some people are having a loss of intimacy while others might be having more? Yeah, absolutely. There is. It's it's running the gamut, right? Mm -hmm. So people who are losing intimacy are I wouldn't, I won't say losing intimacy. I'll say people who are maybe not having sex as often. All right. Because this is a little bit different than intimacy. Sex can be part of it, but you Mm -hmm. don't have to have sex to be intimate. So, so it's kind of like a, you know, a square can be a rectangle, but a rectangle can't be a square. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So to just like make that distinction. So they, uh, I think I mentioned the other day, I'm seeing some people who are like, this is a real opportunity for us to mix it up and to try some different things. And, you know, like, oh, maybe we should try to have sex outside, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, if that had been appealing to both the partners before, they might have already done it. So then it's like bringing up new anxieties for some people, right? Oh my gosh, how big of a freak is my partner really? I had no idea. Or maybe I did, but now I know more. And now what is that doing for me? Mm-hmm. Right? And so then what we're seeing, what I'm seeing is that some people are like, "Yay, finally this is great and they're going for it." And others are like, "Uh, I had no idea that you were like this and it's creating <laughs> tension." <laughs> um, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is not necessarily tension about the sex or the desire. It's more tension around kind of like self-identity. Am I the kind of person yeah. that would have sex outside? And who are you, Freakmeister, right? <laughs> the big reveal. <laughs> the quarantine reveal. Right, quarantine reveal. Whew, here I am, right? So so what I'm trying to do is I'm encouraging people to um, – to go into that space a little bit, not so far that you're uncomfortable or you feel ungrounded. I'm always like working first from a grounded perspective. Can you stay grounded in here? If you have to dissociate or leave your body, this isn't the thing for you. Okay. (laughs) So let's go slow. The other thing that I'm seeing are people who are like, Oh my God, we're with each other all the time. We missed each other a little bit while we were going through our week and doing our stuff, but I don't really miss them anymore. So I'm not even that interested in, I mean, both of them would rather eat crackers in bed than like go at it. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if those crackers in bed are a bad idea. (laughs) I I am anti, I am anti crackers in bed. Right. Cause then the crumbs. Yeah. I want, but not cake. 
I feel like cake is an exception, right? <laughs> I've never had not the cake yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like maybe that's something extra interesting. <laughs> it's part of the reveal. Yeah. <laughs> part of the reveal. <laughs> eat that cake. Let me watch you eat it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have some nut cake, babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah, interesting. I love my job. I really get to just be my inner 13 year old making double ponders all day. <laughs> That's great. I love it. You know, um, there's been black humor amongst attorneys uh, on the internet taking bets or polls, like not serious ones, about whether they're we're going to come out of this coronavirus with more babies or more divorces. <laughs> That's funny. It seems like, uh, I'm, it seems like both. Yeah. I'm seeing both, right? Some people are like, Oh, we're closer than ever. We plan on having a baby by this time next year. Right. Which is like, that's, that's so great. That's, that's lovely. And then there are people, as I mentioned the other day, I mean, I've had two discernment series couples, one of them turned into a divorce and three other disillusions. One's like really high conflict, highly combative, obviously preceded the coronavirus pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, issues that are coming to the fore. And the, um, and the power, the power struggles around who's going to be dominant at home just completely push to the fore. You can't avoid those if you're not going to work and you're with each other all the time. And then I've got a couple people who are like, we're pregnant or we're trying to get pregnant. And that's so lovely. And this is also kind of a blip in time. So it's just like, this is so great. Mm-hmm. This is so great. And I'm also aware that in a year, we don't really know what's going to be happening in a year. But we, I, how, what a hopeful, wonderful, beautiful, you know, date stamp. On this <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> the date stamp. <laughs> so I think I had mentioned in passing to you before about um, Esther Perel and how I had had I was like interested in her work. I saw her at a town hall when she came through Seattle and she had talked about how a lot of couples who have gone through some sort of trauma, the ones that survive on that trauma and continue to thrive as a, in a relationship are able to sit with uncertainty, um, And the ones who can't are the ones who are unable to sit with that uncertainty uh, in their relationship and maybe identifying who they are, who they are as a couple. And when I heard her talk about that personally, I related it to also being a business owner as probably the people who are able to thrive as business owners are able to sit with uncertainty better than those who are not. But I guess this is a really uncertain time generally. It's probably uncertain for people who are business owners. It's uncertain for people personally. And so are you seeing that come up, like whether in a couple or as just like single people where people are just really struggling with that? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing that. And it's both in business and in relationship in 
the structure of the self with the individual and their place in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you had like a generalized anxiety disorder before this lockdown started and you maybe had already opted to work from home while you, for instance, engaged me to work on like why you are so afraid to be out in public or the judgment that you might feel about, you know, your, from your coworkers, whatever the story is, mm-hmm. then um, there is the, there's been an idea and I've heard this from a few people, which is really interesting of, Oh my God, this is upping a different kind of anxiety for me because I always felt like this was my problem and I was going to work on it and be better. And then I could go out. And now I feel like I'm kind of getting better. And I was just thinking I wanted to maybe go back and work in my office with people around and I can't. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm freaking out. Right. Yeah. And so it's still kind of coming back to that, like grounded, secure place. Can you be with the beauty of uncertainty? I mean, like, that's one of my favorite songs. It's a beautiful song by Katie Tunstall, Beauty of Uncertainty. Yeah. And it, in a nutshell, is kind of what got me through, um, like, my divorce, really. Because I can be controlling about my immediate environment. I mean, it's a a mess and everything. I just mean, like, my internal landscape, right? (laughs) I want to want to know what's happening. I feel secure in my world, so I can be a little bit on autopilot. But when I'm a little bit on autopilot, I also get to be mindless, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I like kind of have that shorthand for the mind where I do these things that are I know I'm doing them, so I don't have to put a lot of bandwidth into thinking about how I'm doing them and be mindful about it, right? Yeah. So there's always like kind of a nice tension between almost all the things that we do in the world that creates either too brittle, too taut, too tight, or too slack. You can't do anything with it. You could think of it as a jump rope or a trampoline, right? These are unsatisfying if you make them too tight or too slack. Yeah. So the internal structures in the self with the uncertainty, with the couple with the uncertainty, it's just sort of like, you know, like that trampoline. Or like finding the bell curve. And I always say, try to go no more than like two standard deviations out. Because it's really, you're already kind of getting to the edge. Right? Yeah. Whatever, it's kind of in the middle. Totally. So, yeah, it is definitely. With, with entrepreneurs, I'm seeing it. People who have been successful entrepreneurs a long time. And have weathered a lot of stuff. Like the, you know, downturn in 2008. Even the one like back in 1999 when everyone was sweeping up toilet paper then. Um, Yeah. And this is tapping into things that is making them have to really ground, Mm -hmm. have to ground, have to be mindful. I have to say I did not at all anticipate or understand the toilet paper, the run on toilet paper thing. (laughs) I just did not... I wasn't expecting it. I also didn't fully understand it. It's like, how much more do you think that you need? Like, do you think we're never going to get this again? (laughs) Get a bidet? I don't know. (laughs) Right. I know a lot of people who've gotten bidets. (laughs) (laughs) So 
For people who are either struggling with too much privacy, we can have like two separate things or not enough of it and maybe are feeling that lack of intimacy because of either. Um, Do you have any, I guess, advice for them? Yeah, um, I think one of the best things is to keep a schedule either way. I know from 20 years of, you know, running a school and having that early learning lab that even little, 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 little kids, like 18 months old, thrive on a schedule. Doesn't have to be a rigid, hard schedule. But there's now we're transitioning into this and now we're transitioning to that. And it creates a flow, right? So if you're feeling really isolated, I really encourage you to get a flow with a, with a schedule, right? Mm-hmm. I encourage you actually to cook if you have always eaten your meals out. Cook at least one meal a week that you plan and that you're making to really not only just eat, but to nourish yourself to create some beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's cliche because everyone's been posting all the stuff they've been cooking, but it really works. It makes you think about being grounded. It makes you think about planning. It makes you think about what actually does taste good to me. How do I want this to taste? I have a couple of clients who are sending me pictures of their food that they're making because they were only getting takeout, for instance, and that was freaking them out every time their food arrived. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, how can you how can you do this? You come back to like where your food comes from, which actually calls us back to mindfulness in terms of like our entire ecological model where humans are the apex of everything. And we're really, really, really not. We have no business, for instance, and that's maybe a little political, killing a lion, right? So I agree. You know, so there's this idea that an ecological model that was horizontal might seem more appropriate. If you decide to start cooking even one meal a week, you get to actually be mindful about where your food is coming from, what's on your food. Actually, I've always felt sort of nebulous about eating a hamburger, but now, you know, like, where's this beef coming from? And not to be too Portlandia, but I mean, like, what kind of life did that cow have? <laughs> They're not to be on the cow. Um, The Portlandia episode where they're asking about the chicken, it always cracks me up because the chicken's name is Colin. Yes. (laughs) It just, I don't know. know. It just makes me happy. (laughs) How do they care for him? They were really concerned about Colin. Yeah. Damn, Colin. We hold our table. We're going to go visit the farm just to see it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's bringing a different consciousness or the opportunity for a different consciousness to enter. Mm -hmm. And if you're not feeling like you're connected, then like, let's look at the ways that you're kind of freaking yourself out. I mentioned the other day, I've been getting calls from people who are just watching everything on the internet from like, they're not worried about sources. They're not doing any of that. They're watching everything. They're getting freaked out. So, okay, let's, why don't you cut out what let's, yeah, definitely cut out that. Don't, don't look at that. Um, (laughs) 
Anything from the New York Post is probably going to freak you out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can edit that out. Um, so, so make like mindful choices from what you're putting in your mouth to how you're getting up and greeting the day. Can you face north and do a sun salutation? Can you face west and do a sun salutation? Can you take a walk? Can you have like a phone call instead of Zoom if your day is mostly spent on Zoom? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to work a different part of your brain to to only be hearing and to transfer that information into meaning for yourself. Can you take a walk and solidify that while you're talking to someone who's not stressing you out? Then you feel like you have these connections. Then you feel like you're going deeper with people who you already share an interest with. Ideally, it's someone that, you know, that's important to you. Same deal with like people with kids especially like single moms and single dads. It's just like ongoing. It does not end. And families that have both parents in the house and some kids are struggling as well because there's just this pass off, which can already feel like the first four years of life. And now you're isolated. You don't get to see anyone. You can't go to the park. You can't just like throw a bunch of kids together so that they make their own mess and play with each other while you just relax for a second. So. How do you set a schedule and how do you also give like some autonomy to your kids, Mm -hmm. for instance? Okay. Where it's not just like the TVs, the babysitter, but like, uh, I'll just use myself. I'll out myself. I'm such (laughs) as like, I don't want my kids to get hurt. Right. So they're just things that, you know, whatever my girls, would sometimes climb onto the roof of the playhouse and I would just be like, be careful. But I would think, well, if they fall, they're not probably going to die. So they're going to be okay. But then I switched some things up and I put a trellis and everything around on the backyard. And I was like, yeah, I want you on the roof anymore. Cause if you fail, you could hit one of these things on the trellis and die. So I can catastrophize with the best of them. My son is six. I'm like, yeah, go climb the fence. He's walking across the trellis. And I'm like, please don't fall, but I need a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually, you know, like if you look at it, something that's amazing for kids to be able to do. And I'm not saying let your kids go climb the fence and, you know, be in a, you know, a danger to themselves or for parents to be lackadaisical like that. But I do think that there's something around curating every single moment of a child's day that does not actually allow them to explore who they are and what they want to do. So build that into your day, parents. Mm -hmm. And then look at each other, even if you can't even like get up off your chair and just clink your glasses, your wine, your water, your coffee, whatever, and just be like, so you have a moment. Do an appreciation. You know, I really appreciate this about you and vice versa. Let it flow for a moment because you can become really disconnected from this as parents, right? And then the same thing with couples. Make sure that you have time in your day that's not just like this or like this in silos resenting one another. There's like really no reason to resent. If you've got some issues that you need to talk that come from before this, talk them out or call me. I'll help you talk them out, right? I have found that I've been really, there have been quite a few things that have come out of this that have made me really grateful. One is 
I mean, you were talking about walks. Colin and I have been going on at least one walk every day. And that has been really great. Just like to have that slower time where we just walk and we're not taking our phones and we're just kind of, even if we're not talking about anything, just being outside has been really great. And then I have friends that I've known for probably 20 years now. And typically we're all so busy and caught up with everything in our lives that we don't regularly talk on the phone or get together. We'll try to all get together around holidays and things like that. But because of this self-isolation, we've been doing these Zoom happy hours every other week or every, you know, every so often. And it's been really great to reconnect with them and talk more regularly. And so I think although there are definitely negatives in the self-isolation where people are feeling frustrated or feeling that lack of privacy or the lack of intimacy or maybe too much, <laughs> I don't know, whatever might be. There are also definitely things to be grateful for and um, that in good things that have come out of it. Yeah. One of the beautiful things about positive psychology is that like Martin Seligman took the entire business of depression, really, and, and um, you know, diagnostic psychology, diagnost diagnosing a problem, and said, well, what if we did this from a strengths-based perspective instead? Which as an educator, I'm like, yes, what if we did, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> And it's a game changer. And gratitude is one of like the fundamental things that contributes to higher subjective well-being over a life lived. You totally hit the nail on the head. It is very, very difficult to complain or even have a, have a conflict when we're in gratitude. I mean, I really challenge anyone to try um, to be grumpy when they're in gratitude. It's so hard to do. That reminds me. So I took this story skills workshop uh, with, it's a Seth Godin uh, program. And so it's just trying to teach people how to tell stories. And one of the coaches told this story about how she and her son were in conflict. They were going to get takeout and he was being grumpy. It was like, a, he's a teenager. And she was reacting to that and being grumpy back. And then, you know, all she decided to just take a step back and she said, I don't care if you mean it or not, but I need you to end every sentence that you say to me with thank you <laughs> and from here on out. And so they started doing that. And by the end, by the time they had gotten their takeout and pulled away, they were both smiling because yeah, it was so hard to say thank you and also be grumpy, like continuously say thank you and just <laughs> be grumpy <laughs> and angry. <laughs> right. right. Unless you went to Catholic school in the 60s. <laughs> I have another. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. But I, I'm sorry. I made a yeah. joke because that's really perfect. And it yeah. is a great example. <laughs> My parents went to Catholic school in the 50s and 60s <laughs> in India, though. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Did they have the rulers and the and the battles? Probably. Uh, they don't really talk about it, but yeah, you don't um, want to talk about the in their battles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't really mention it. My mom is she's not much of like a rule breaker, so I feel like she probably didn't get disciplined all that often. Or maybe the discipline worked. Or maybe it did work. (laughs) One slot with one of those like old paddles and (laughs) it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My dad, I can see maybe getting in trouble more. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of funny because that sets up a structure in terms of, you know, um, how we approach life and how we do these things. So and how we bounce back and our resilience level, right? Someone might get a spanking and be angry and hostile and expect violence and aggression from people the rest of their lives. And other people might get a spanking and just go, wow, that hurt. And that does not show me that you love me. And that makes me so mad. And I'm going to turn right around and do it again because I am my own age. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, the range of experience for everybody is so wide. And I think that's one of the other things that is important for everybody to think about during this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, To come to a space of of softening, you know, self-compassion, right? Um, Self-compassion gives us a lot of space to get into. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's not like it could be worse, right? It's like, uh, actually, here, here are all the things that are fortifying me now. Mm-hmm. And when we focus on what we have instead of what we don't have, then it makes all the difference. But we are can be really, really habituated to focusing on what's not working. And that does not serve. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it never does. <laughs> no, <laughs> it does not. <laughs> So um, to kind of round out the conversation, you talked about gratitude. What have you been grateful for this week? Well, I have been really grateful that I've been in fairly decent health. I have an ongoing situation at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance that they've been monitoring and it's come back a little bit, but I've been able to manage it. And so rather than get freaked out about it, which I was out to do, because <laughs> oh my, my oncologist was like, if we could not do surgery right now, that'd be the best. So <laughs> I could go to a place of oh my God, I'm going to die. If I don't die of this thing in my breast, I'm going to die of the vid because yeah. I got germs <laughs> on the operating table, yeah. right? Let's just call that down, all right? You're fine. You have beautiful children. You have really good health. You have a really nice life. You have a really nice ex-husband. You've got a really comfortable house. You've got heat. You've got functional car. You've got functional feet. I mean, like, so, and that immediately took me out of that space, mm-hmm. right? It can do that for every everyone. I'm grateful for so much more than I'm lamenting. That, you know, visualization of a scale, you know, am I lamenting? Am I grateful, right? You know, they could be an even, they could be even, but then it's kind of a zero-sum game. Right. You haven't actually done anything. 
So if you get your gratitude more weighted, then this lamenting stuff becomes really light, right? And then you don't remember it because you're focused on all of this goodness. So... Um, I will also say that, so you're talking about cooking and how it can be a really good tool for people to ground themselves and to have some sort of routine and implement some planning. I will say that Colin and I have had a couple of like cooking projects during this time that has also worked, I think, to be like a fun activity for us to do together. One was these like Biang biang noodles. So they're these pulled like Asian noodles, and you literally have to like bang them on the like um, table, kind of like almost like a jump rope, right? And you're sitting there doing that. And so that was just kind of like a fun, messy thing to do together. Did it work? Did they yeah. work? They did work. They did work. They were probably a little bit um, too thick. We probably should have banged them a bit more. <laughs> And then it was another noodle project. We made pasta last week and we were like, this was delicious and really fun. Let's make pasta again. Yeah. Also, when you're doing that, there's no preservatives in your food. So your gut biome is going to be better, right? Your entire flow in your body and the like physiology is going to be better. And that's like so much fun. I saw you at the beginning of a happy hour where you said that Colin was doing the dinner that night and you were experimenting something with something. And I was like, that's so, so great. Cause it also lets you guys probably learn about each other. Yeah. You think you've known everything about each other and then you learn this new thing. Well, I like to make noodles that I bang on the counter and they're really, <laughs> really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was super fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what are you guys doing? Or are you guys doing anything where you get to just be in your own little worlds a little bit? Um, I mean, so we have designated our office spaces on opposite sides of the house. So (laughs) for the most, we have to like walk across the house to kind of talk to each other. So that's been interesting. Um, so we do that. And then Colin has had out, like, he's wants to come out of this really tan and I don't (laughs) care about tanning. So he's been having like a midday sun time where he goes and tans himself and I'm not involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) Out in the yard. Sunshine. It's it's sporadic. If you have a tanning bed, you need a G string so that you can see that you're tanning. (laughs) (laughs) Or no string at all. Or no string at all. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So you got these things that you're doing that are purely pleasurable for yourself. Yeah. And I love cooking. And so for me, like planning out, like cooking projects for myself has also been a thing. And I am more social. I'm the more extroverted of the two of us. So I plan out like little Zoom happy hours or whatever with my friends. So... There are definitely ways that we're finding things to do apart as well, which I actually hadn't realized until we started having this conversation just now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's, I feel like people like yourself, uh, you and Colin, um, who are kind of used to doing things with agency and on your own are able to really plot this out. Some people can get to that space like with a few little tweaks or just things to think about. I invite you to think about this, right? 
And then, you know, and then there are just a lot of people who don't have all the freedoms that we have. And then, so that's one of the things I lament, right? And it's kind of a big lament. Um, so in terms of like, for instance, how I am when I'm out, I was trying to wear my glasses all the time with my mask. So it'd be like faux goggles in case like something got into my eyes or whatever. But I realized that when I was wearing sunglasses, I could not, there was no way for anyone to see like all my wrinkles for me smiling at them. And I feel like a smile at strangers right now is like one of the most important things that we Mm -hmm. can be doing. Yeah. Like, who are you? You know? It's been really interesting having um, the mask on. I I was thinking about that because we were walking and past somebody and you can't tell if some if you're greeting each other or smiling at one another. I just started kind of squinting my eyes to try and imitate those uh, wrinkles. It's an experiment. Yeah. And then I just like, hi. You know, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, for Seattle, people are like, what? It's so crazy. Yeah. People are actually saying hi on the street now for the first time since I've ever been here. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. All right. Well, you know, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I hope that others find it useful. I know we've found it enlightening and useful, and we will definitely put your contact information and business information in notes or whatever. So, and link to it so people can find you if they are struggling or even just want someone to talk to about what they're experiencing. Okay. That's so lovely. This is so cool that you guys do this. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Lawyer Human Show. If you enjoyed our conversation and would like to support the show, be alerted as soon as the next episode is up. Please make sure to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places. And leave us a kind review if you feel like it. Ooh, that'd yeah. be nice. To learn more about this month's guest, the pleasure principal, Amy Baker, follow the links in this episode's show notes. To learn more about us here, lawyer humans, check us out on the socials, Layroots Legal on Instagram. Yeah. And The Lawyer Human Show has been produced in collaboration with Populous Radio. You can learn more about them and check out their other shows at populousradio.com.